Well, welcome to another candidate forum edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Fran's driving some of the issues. There she goes. We're really excited. Uh, today is the 8th District edition um, of our candidate forums. I'm going to let these two fine folks that are here introduce themselves. Just so you know, we did reach out to incumbent Reba Trammell twice and she did not respond. So her loss, let's get down to it and let the candidates that we do have here introduce themselves. Hey, RVA Dirt fam. Uh, this is Amy Wentz. Uh, Richmond is and has always been my home, my city, and Southside has always been my heart. Uh, I am a proud graduate of Richmond Public Schools and have done everything from whitewater rafting on our amazing river to volunteering um, in our uh, at Promise Communities. I have amazing daughters, Jasmine, who is actually celebrating her birthday today. And Happy birthday, Jasmine! Yes, Jazz. And Zoe, who is a rising first grader at uh, J.L. Francis Elementary School. I served in the Army and still work as an analyst um, in the transportation department for the Army and um, a part of so many great organizations. In the and I'm ready to transition from uh, community service to public service. And I'm ready to represent the 8th District of City Council. Thank you, RVA Dirt. I would like to thank you for the opportunity you're putting on this, this forum. It allows uh, the constituents to hear from both of us. It's a shame that the incumbent couldn't join, but that was expected. Uh, I'm Reggie Ford. I'm also running for the 8th District. Uh, I've moved to Richmond about 20, a little over 20 years ago. And my first job was on 2300 Jefferson, Jefferson Davis Highway. And it looks the same as it did when I moved in this uh, 20, uh, 20 years ago. And I decided a long time ago to start doing some community work in Richmond. It's funny that we're talking about community work because yesterday I was at the Lee Statue and I ran into Vanessa Diamond and I volunteered with her organization over 10 years ago. I was a leader at one of her organizations for Hands On. And then I ran into Angela for Art 180 where I volunteered them over, uh, uh, over 10 years ago. Then I ran into somebody else that I, a church from Mossside. Uh, I share that with you to share with you my background of what I've done and what I'm committed to in the community. I love the 8th District. I've always owned property uh, on the South Side, and I just look forward to representing you in the 8th District. Thank you. Could you both tell us a little bit about what motivated you to run and what you love the most about the 8th District? Yeah, sure. So I guess it was right around the time that I appeared actually on the show a couple years ago. Uh, appearance on RBA Dirt. Um, I was advocating on behalf of good friends in the 8th District, couldn't attend a public meeting about the Blackwell Historic District. And um, the proposal was by Michael Hill. And immediately I knew that this guy was just bad news. And so I attempted to convince our representative that um, that more engagement needed to happen in that area and uh, around this issue. And unfortunately, her I was not met with the best response from her. Um, and she actually told me that he was going to go on to do great things for our community. And as you all know, <laughs> that has not um, come into fruition. Now he's gone on to jail instead. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> court date ahead, ahead of us. But in addition to that, you know, I'm just rooted in Southside, where I grew up, you know, where I played sports. I've raised my children here and I've experienced Richmond as a child, as a young adult. A struggling one, I might add, <laughs> and uh, a renter, business owner, organizer, mama, and homeowner. And um, I have decades of ground on, you know, hands-on 
hands on deck experience um, and our needs in all areas. And so I am by the neglect, uh, the complacency, frankly, the mediocrity of our current representative. And I'm thankful for the support I'm re uh, receiving. You heard that saying say, uh, see something, say something. I believe in getting involved. I remember, uh, I don't think it was four or five years ago, I started something called Unite the City. And I can't, you know, what's happening to our black youth or black men who are getting killed by the police. Uh, I started that and I'm surprised because I can't remember which black man was killed at that particular time, but I started that one and I started it in uh, the eighth district. That was the first one we did at Southside Plaza. Uh, I, I'm just a proponent of making sure if something is going wrong, don't wait for somebody else to be this a problem solver you must step up and do it, do it yourself. It's, it's something inherent about, something inherently that you should have when being a politician or representing people. You should actually uh, have some sort of care and not just want running because it's the right thing to do or being in a position because it's the right thing to do. So I inherently have a, a, a passion for the 8th District because of all of the injustices and despair that's going on in the 8th District. I'm going to add, because you said some, to say something positive, so I just want to make sure that I say that, um, I mean, the 8th District is, is amazing. You know, we have a lot of issues that we need to resolve, but the resiliency and the amazingness of our people is just, um, you know, what grounds me. And so I'm here to stay. I've always been here. And so excited about the future. So I'm glad that both of you guys, first and foremost, have decided to interject yourselves into one, this election, and two, in politics. I think both of you found your way into politics in different ways. And I'm glad that you're here. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation now. While we're talking about it, you know, the 8th has had the same representation for 17 years. That's a long, long, long time. One of the chief complaints I think that has been expressed about communication, at least, with between constituents and leadership is either a lack of communication or um, not having a, a great flow of knowledge, maybe at meetings and so on and so forth. How do you plan to show your future constituents that you're the right choice or that this is something to change? What's your experience been with communication and yeah. um, the flow of knowledge? And if there's a problem and what would you like to see about a change if you see one? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so yes, all that what you just said. I think that, um, you know, I first started getting involved with just kind of sharing out what happens at our district meetings because of that, because there was no newsletter, there was no, you know, uh, minutes sharing of our district meetings to anyone. So I had, that's when I started the hashtag in the eight, just so I can let people know, you know, what is happening at these meetings. And so we keep a detailed, uh, I usually take notes and then I share them out, you know, with my following and folks that I know in the eight, just so that they can know what's going on. But the biggest thing is there just needs to be an outspread communication strategy across the board, right? I think that our meetings have been 
held at the satellite for some time now. I have been talking to residents all across the district that feel like it's not an easily accessible place to have them have the meetings. So one of the things that I really want to do is rove the meetings around and so we could have them at Broad Rock Elementary School, South South Plaza, um, for folks that are in Woodstock, we could have an, you know, Blackwell Community Center for folks that are in Blackwell. And that way, um, and that way people have equitable access to the meetings. I think also that um, there's no live streaming of our meetings right now. And so I would love to live stream meetings so that people who are at home cooking for their six and seven year olds in the kitchen, you know, don't have to necessarily take them out of the home to, um, to come to a meeting. Also, there is a, um, you know, an amazing Latino population here that um, doesn't have any type of translation services at our meetings. And so I like to also bring that element to it. And then as it relates to just communicating with the district as a whole, I would be committed to, and I have been committed to already, every eighth of the month, I send out a monthly newsletter that I would like to continue as the representative in the eighth district. And for folks that do not like to receive email, I like to do a quarterly newsletter that's in paper form uh, for those residents as well. So just making sure that the communication is reaching our young youth voices, you know, in our community, all the way up to our most seasoned community member, um, ensuring that everybody has access to information. Francesca, great question. Uh, I'm part of a, the world's largest communication leadership organization. So communication is something that I've been part of and I strongly feel passionate about that. I think we have to meet the people where they are. There are many forms of communication, email, text message, word of mouth, there's so many different forms. One thing we have to do, we have to, you mentioned that Ms. Trammell's been, been in for 17 years. There's a, a, a word, social adaptation, and that means people have become a customer adjusted to their current situation. We need to identify certain leaders in those areas. And once you identify those areas, it's just like having block captains when you're, when you're, you're uh, campaigning. Identify those areas and work through them to find out what communication process is the best. An email may be best for some people, text may be best for some, or streaming may be the best. We have to identify, we know there's a problem and we know that uh, there are solutions, but we need to find the best solution for each area. And I think that's the first approach we, 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 we do. I want to throw another word. That's a collaboration uh, efficacy. That means when uh, the neighborhoods do whatever they want to do to get the results they need. And that's what you got to find those hungry people in the, in the district that really want to change and they will help you get out the communication that you need and form the, the, the structure that you need to make sure this works for the district. Your incumbent isn't here, of course, to defend herself or defend her record, but, but what has she done? What, ha what can you guys say that she's done to exemplify? What has she done to make the 8th district better? Yeah, so I did like a extensive just analysis of her legislative record, right? So starting from 1999, um, two years out of that, when I was out of high school, um, and all the way up until now. And so, you know, I've gone through every single, you know, paper that she has patroned, rather limited um, selection, but I did go through them. And I think that initially when uh, first took office, there were a lot of things that she did as far as like adding a new um, stoplight on Rough and Road and things that actually allow her to kind of get her base of support. Um, because at that time, back in the 90s, those things were uh, what needed to be prioritized. 
I think that just over, you know, sent from 2003 until now, unfortunately, uh, specifically, you know, he's working on the budget. There is, there is always a issue with the budget that the mayor, um, she's quick to call that out, but there are very rarely amendments to that budget where she's advocating on behalf of our needs in the 8th district. And so that's, that's really an issue. And then we need somebody, me, uh, that's gonna check every line item and um, submit budget amendments and truly the needs of the 8th district. And so that's where I see that she's kind of, one of the ways that she's kind of missed the mark. Some organizations that she does advocate for. So it's not like she doesn't advocate, because you know, fire and rescue are her favorite things to advocate for. Um, but those groups also have lobbyists. They have folks that can do that work for them. We, she's supposed to be our lobbyist and our advocate, and that's just simply not happening. And so, yep, Amy Wentz will be the one to get that done, and I'm excited to do it. That was a good question, and forgive me for the way I'm about to answer. It, it doesn't matter what she's done in the past because we can't see the residual effects now. It's like, what, what have you done for me lately? And it's a shame that you have to say that about a 17-year incumbent who has the most tenure on council and has the worst district. So her, her, that right there speaks for itself. Uh, maybe her desires are pure, but her reality does not match up with her desires and they're just straight in opposition. And she is, she, she's, she's no good for the, for the district. She's, she's no good, period. And I can't put a finger on something that I think she has done to better the district. The only thing I can think of is when she wanted to call the FBI on the mayor and everybody was digging in and saw that the guy that she was uh, supporting had given her $5,000. So she told on herself. So I think that's the best thing that she's done for the district is slip up and tell on herself. The 8th district has a lot of improvements that it needs. Clearly in the past 17 years, things have gone downhill. Before that, stuff wasn't getting done. So what major improvements have you identified and what do you plan to do about them? Okay, so I'll just be honest. Like typically candidates, you know, they run on a platform of like three to four things that they highlight um, and it might sound good to folks and get folks excited about them. But my long-term experience here, unfortunately, we're just not in a position to just select a few things, right? There really truly needs to be a enhancement to the quality of life of our people over here, just in general. Um, all people across the board, I think that it's like we're at the top of the bad list for everything that's not good. And, uh, you know, like evictions, highest for evictions, highest for heat-related illnesses, highest for people not answering the census, you know, life expectancy. Like all of these things are things that are just not good. But I have just decided to center my focus on um, truly enhancing the quality of life of our people all across the board. There needs to be systemic change. And that's the change that I'll be advocating for because it, you know, we're in a state of emergency and it's not, it's not something that we can just kind of put a one or two on it. Yeah. It's just, um, I guess there's a quote Audre Lorde says, um, you know, we can't focus on single issues because we don't live single issue lives. And that's just kind of my approach to my campaign and my approach to how my leadership style will be. Um, we need just all hands on deck for so many things. And I mean, if you want to get, you know, do the political thing, I did, you know, create an acronym, eight that, you know, houses education, infrastructure, growth, 
housing, transportation, and health and safety, just so I could encompass all of those things. But tr truly, the reason why I had to do that is because there's just so many things. And we can't focus on, you know, a pothole and, 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 and things like that, especially when 40% of our residents don't even have access to a car. So there just needs to be a quality of life enhancement uh, across the board. And that's what I support. And that's what I stand behind. I agree 100% with what Amy said, and that's why my vision is accountable representation. It, the, the district is in such disarray. There's no one thing you can put your finger on and say, if you look behind me, this is part of the district. Uh, we actually need to change the, 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 the mindset. Uh, there's, uh, you think about this, the book, uh, The Miseducation of the Negro. And they say if you take a, uh, a, a, the guy, the black guy's been going through the back door for so long, when you take him through the front door, he feels uncomfortable. He will seek out the back door by, uh, on his own. And this is what happened to the 8th District. They are comfortable with Reaver. They feel that th they can't do any better. So it has to be a mind shift. And this is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not something that you have to start and stop. You have to put attention to this. We definitely need that. Housing and health are directly related. If you can fix the housing issue, you can fix the health issue. We have poor ventilation, which is causes all of this, this asthma, uh, uh, roaches and rat feces, all of that causes this. And this is why the the, uh, there's a huge difference between the, uh, the the death rate between someone in the eighth district and someone in the in the first district. You know, you have someone 50 years old living in the eighth district, you know, having trouble walking from the kitchen to the bedroom. Then in the first district, you got somebody 80 years old running a marathon. Why is that? You know, so we we need to attack. Uh, uh, we need to take a comprehensive look at everything. But as Amy said, we can't attack one issue. And I just want to say, it's people in the 8th District that are running marathons now. So don't, you know, don't, don't group us all in there. There's a lot of great people in the 8th District that are in great health. And we just want to focus on the folks that aren't. You're absolutely right. I'm one of the marathon runners. But that's just, if you look at the numbers overall and compare them to other districts, like you said, we are leading the pack in uh, not doing so well, especially in Under health. Understood. We just want to make sure that we're not, you know, talking about our people now. Uh, how do you feel about developers and their plans for your district? Okay, so economic development. I will say, you know, as I am making phone calls, knocking on doors, talking to folks, it's not like the 8th District is an anti-development, you know, district. You know, we want access to resources, economic support over here. The key is with economic development for us in the 8th District is in it for the 8th District. How do these deals impact the 8th District? And how will it help uh, the enhancement of the quality of life for the people in our district? That is what I'm focused on. I focused on um, you know, working with developers who want to work with us on building community instead of doing it for us. I'm excited about that. I mean, this is, the 8th District is just ripe for opportunity. It's, it's, a, it's a great place for a developer with a good mindset and a, wanting to work with the community to come in and work with us. I mean, we do need access to economic support. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the reason why folks get on bad paths because they just don't have the economic support around them. So economic development as a whole, good thing. What's in it for the 8th District? How does the deal impact the 8th District? And how will it help enhance our quality of life? So they got something called asset-based community 
development. And what that means is you identify all of the strengths that you have with inside of your district. We have strengths here, despite what anyone may say, we have some positives here. That gives you more leverage. Now, if we bring in developers from the outside, which we should bring them in, but they need to sit down at the table with the community, not, not necessarily the ones that we consider the leaders in the community, we need to sit down with the constituents in the community so they can share what they want. Now, just because we want a grocery store, we need to make sure that we are working in that grocery store. We need to make sure that we are in leadership in that grocery store. We have some buy-in. We are part of the, the construction. So when you say economic development and you sit down and they say, okay, we'll give you X number of people to work. No, we want a bigger piece of the pie. We want to work in the store. We want to work on the store. We want to be able to advance in the, uh, in the company. We want to do that, but we need to build that asset-based community development, and that starts with us, and you can do that right here in the community. We have assets. We've been beating up so much, telling us that we, we don't have anything to offer. No, we have a whole lot to offer. I'll put this district up against any other district. I'd like to now shift to something that a lot of the other districts may not. You guys do share this maybe with the ninth. I would say, but some of the other districts in our city maybe don't have this aspect, but it's a very, I think it's a very important characteristic to the district. The 8th and the 9th um, especially have a very large growing, I mean, super large, fast growing um, population of Latinx people in your community. Here's what I found. Girl, Siri, what are you doing? Siri said, I'm correct. The U.S. Hispanic population has reached a new high in 2019. That's what she said. And because of that, that community, your community, um, and the surrounding communities around you are also going to need different types of services as well as different types of outreach and community needs. What types of programming district-wide do you foresee or can you expand on um, that you personally would like to see happen that you'd be working towards um, to help those people because they are a part of your district and that's where many of uh, our growing uh, Latinx population has chosen to settle within the city as well as how you kind of plan to work with that growing population because a lot of that population are kids that will be in our schools that are super, super crowded. What does that challenge really look like in terms of embracing that community in, into your constituency that's a little bit different than in other places? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my daughter Jasmine played soccer in high school and she played soccer and she was the only uh, English speaker on the soccer team, right? And so we were able to um, form relationships with the other moms and dads on the team and, you know, really kind of work through and beyond those barriers. I think that um, one of the things, the key issues is the reason why the Latinx community is settling here is because where the access to the, it's almost like redlining again, unfortunately, uh, because all of the resources, um, the, the apartment complexes that have Spanish speakers in their staff, the stores that have Spanish staff, uh, all of those folks are over here. And I don't know why we as a city aren't getting that right better, where there are access to other areas of our city that are a little bit more um, friendly. But I will say that it's, it's intentional that this is happening and that's unfortunate. Um, but the eighth district is 
better for it. And I will say that, you know, in my, just already what I'm doing now, um, organizations like LULAC, you know, the Sacred Heart Center and Multicultural Affairs Office. You know, I, I actually talked to some people in the community just about like, who is their go-to person, right? Who is their advocate, someone that um, on council who they can depend on to kind of work to meet their needs. And unfortunately they didn't have an answer. And so that is sad. Unfortunately, I don't speak Spanish. I am taking Spanish classes now and uh, I am committed to um, ensuring that all of my materials are in Spanish uh, for my campaign as I reach out to folks. So they already are in Spanish. And I, my newsletter, you know, everything that comes out for me is in Spanish as well. Absolutely want them to be, to feel like an active part of our community in the civic process. I think that's another thing when I talk about the communication strategy, they're not included. You know, there's no services that are provided to them when we have meetings to be able to engage them. And so definitely would be a priority for me. It already is a priority for me, which is why I have, um, you know, make, making that commitment to make sure that all of our materials are in Spanish. Good question. I think we need to do a better job of integrating ourselves with our black and brown brothers and sisters. I grew up in Texas, so it, it, it was normal for me. It's, uh, it, it was just normal. I, I worked at SunTrust and we sat, I sat on a board called Fostering Home Ownership, and we work closely with Sacred Hearts and Southside Community Development Center. They have brought in a lot of Hispanics to help with this population because you had mentioned something about uh, redlining again. Uh, so, so there are some efforts in place. I think we need to do some, some uh, more outreach. One of the things I, I heard when I was speaking with some people in the neighborhood, we need to have some uh, ethnic cultural activities in the 8th district. That can bring us together so we can understand and, and, and learn about each other. Right now, we don't know a whole lot about each other, and that's where the, the divide comes. Um, I've actually started a group. It's, uh, it's 50 men, uh, uh, black and brown brothers across the nation. And that group is to bring in 50 brothers from each state. All states are represented, and we'll build from there but we wanted to have representative with our black and brown brothers because we are the ones who seem like uh, getting the short end of the stick and we want to build it up and be stronger so we can be stronger for the women. And so I'm already in the process of doing that. We meet every Thursday and we're, we're, we got so many people coming in now trying to join the organization, but we want to make sure that we have the right people in there so we can uh, have this to be sustained for years to come. But we just definitely need to integrate better, bring some cultural, uh, ethnic activities together and make sure that we all are inclusive. With that, with that in mind, and that's, that's one disenfranchised group or underserved community that's in, within the eighth, that's just one of them. What, what are your plans for reaching other underserved communities within the eighth? And people's definitions of what underserved communities might be different. So I won't define that for you. I'll let you define that individually. Yeah, being rooted here and just, you know, that's just, that's just who I am as a person, right? Like I, um, I don't, I don't make any distinctions uh, when it comes to the level of love and support that I provide for people in my district. I think that, um, I mean, it's just, it's just a fabric of who I am as a person. So I, um, I, I don't foresee any any issues with that just because that, like I said, that's just who I am. I, you know, I've, that's, I'm proven in that area. You know, I'm a collaborator. 
Um, and so I'm, I'm just eager to get to work to serve the people of the 8th District. I was talking with a young man, gang member, early on January, right before the COVID shut us down. And he was talking to me about how he wanted to do something. You know, it's, it's, it's stressful <laughs> being a gang member. And uh, so we were just talking about the youth in, in, in different parts of the city. And he was so into his child's life because he didn't want his child to grow up the way that he did, even though he was gangbanging. So we got talking. And then another person came in. And you can tell this person was a little disheveled and things were going on. And I went over there and talked to him uh, about, hey, how you doing? Because I was trying to get signatures. And I was sitting down talking with, with the, the looks that I, would get, I was getting from people because why are you talking to him? It's obvious that person can't vote. It's obvious that person. And we have to change that mindset because if I've turned a blind eye or a deaf ear on that person, I'm doing the same thing as the incumbent, just putting it out there. I, we need to reach every person, no matter what social economic status they're, they, they're at, whether they look clean or don't look clean. We have to reach person and, and, and not be afraid. Bold transformation is what's going to, to happen uh, doing that. We have to pull people together. The first step in everything is pulling people together and not promising these pie-in-the-sky Pollyanna ideas that we're going to do. Just be straight up bold with them. If they like you, they'll vote for you. If they don't, they won't. We're in a really strange time right now. COVID has affected everything, right? And one of the things that is your duty uh, as a council person is to partner with your school board rep to get budget needs met. And this is a crazy pants time. Sure, we had a fully formed budget before, you know, fully funded budget before, but um, COVID really has screwed up a lot of things for this year, this school year, you know, into 2021. What would you as a council representative fight for for your schools? So I am um, extremely good friends with our current school board representative now, Don Page. Uh, who currently represents us. We talk about it a lot of times about how um, it's just unfortunate that the collaboration between the two of them, not on Dawn's side, you know, it just hasn't been there. And, uh, you know, there's been times where she's been at district meetings and wanting to stand up just to give a two-minute speech on, you know, what's going on with our schools and what they're working on as far as the school board is concerned. And unfortunately, she's, you know, met with not good reactions. Um, so we talk about this extensively, just as colleagues, you know, partners in the community. But one of the things that I do not feel that uh, we can put on the back burner anymore is a raise for our teachers. And although um, we don't approve school board budget, right, that would be something that I would most uh, definitely be in support of um, proposing and, and ensuring that happens. I am really focused on when it comes to education, because I understand that that's, uh, that's their lane, school board's lane, is really focusing on increasing our adult educational opportunities over in the 8th District. I think that all of the opportunities since, as far, since I was born have been housed on the north of the river. So our learning center, our vocational programs are all housed on the north of the river. And I asked, I did a FOIA request to get the data um, to show that South Cityans are not applying and participating in those programs as much as folks north of the river. And that's because we just have a lack of access. So um, I would be really, you know, I really would want to allow her to focus on schools. And then I, you know, focus on 
adult education. There's a lot of opportunity there, um, workforce training, et cetera. And, um, and so that's what I would be advocating for. For our teachers, they are, um, you know, outside of our students, they're our most prized possession in our school system, and we just need to take better care of them. Council and school board must work together. When personal feelings get involved, you're doing a disservice to the district. It's, it's, it's hurting the district. Uh, the only thing city council does is approve the board, approve the budget for the school board. The school board is, is you should sit with your, your, your school board person, and collaborate, you all should be best of friends or talk or whatever. If you don't like each other when it's over with, don't let that happen when you have your meetings and talk and you should present a common front. And so everyone think that you all are happy, but behind closed doors, they know that you're fighting for them. There's no equivocation on that. There's, there's no excuse. I, I, I can't even add anything else to that. Besides, you must work together no matter, you just have to. And the school, are, are, they are essential, but there are a lot more that goes on to the, the school than what we allow, uh, what we blame the school board for. Let me put it like that. It, it just, we blame the school board for a lot. And I know a lot of people not, uh, don't want me to say that, but a lot of, the, this is community. The community is just as, just as responsible as the school board uh, for getting what we need done. For example, uh, indirectly, um, I mean, Fran was uh, talking about uh, Wi-Fi. We have kids that don't have Wi-Fi. What, what good is it to have a computer if you don't have Wi-Fi? The city of Richmond can have Wi-Fi for, for students. I mean, it's a, it's a place in Connecticut. They're, their poorest neighborhood, they went out, the city created a Wi-Fi for their poorest neighborhood, so everyone in that neighborhood has Wi-Fi. And it's, I mean, it's, it's vast across the nation. That's something that we need to do here. We need to look at, so that's what, what I can do for as a city councilman, but, in, but directly involved with the school board. All I can do is approve the budget and work with the school board representative to get the best for our students. As we near the end here, looking outside of the 8th District, when you're on council, you have to make decisions for Richmond as a whole. What are you most looking forward to putting your imprint on citywide if you get elected? Yeah, so I think that um, the nation, frankly the world, um, with the recent deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, are just calling for better for Black lives, just in general. Um, this is a calling and I think that um, Richmond especially, especially with our history of being the capital of the Confederacy should be leading in the effort to ensure that black lives in the city are valued and they are enhanced and so that is what I'm looking to uh, to work on look forward to working on the most I sure shared earlier that I was I sit on the board for uh, the world's largest communication and leadership organization and one of the things I had to understand when I sit on, sat on that board, um, people in Africa, people in Germany, France, I, I was so North American centric, I didn't understand the way that they thought. And uh, so I have to make sure that we understand what the city needs it holds. So right here from today, I would have to say, we are the capital of Virginia and we should be leading as the capital of Virginia. We had opportunities years and years back to uh, be the shortest in North Carolina, but we dropped the ball. I think a lot of that comes from 
uh, administration work that we did not do properly. Uh, and then uh, and what I mean by administration work, uh, uh, accountability. So uh, even though that's not the pretty sexy thing that people want to hear, we have to clean up the back office first before we can start any type of progress. Because if you don't build a solid foundation, doesn't matter how many arenas you put up, how many police chiefs come in or whatever, we will never go forward until we have a solid foundation. And I would like to work on the, found, the foundation to see where we are so we can uh, grow like we're supposed to grow. In closing, as we are kind of finishing up. First, we want to thank both of you all for joining us and introducing your constituency to your platforms, to yourselves, to your ideas, to what you want to bring, not only to your districts um, where you already are, but also uh, to city council in this time of COVID, COVID mania, right? As we pull ourselves as a city out of some very uncertain times. What, what message do you want to leave for your constituents uh, as they prepare to do more research on you and maybe even get to know their district a little better, get to know each of you guys better, and um, head to the ballot box in November? Yeah, for sure. I'll just share you know, my vision for the 8th District, um, which is that all people, from our youngest resident to our most seasoned community, community member, um, are thriving we're happy and equitable access to city resources and services. I want to see our neighborhoods growing healthy and safe and our corridors budding with economic support. Um, and in a nutshell, like I said before, the quality of life for all residents um, to be enhanced under my leadership as the city council representative of the 8th district. So I would love for uh, folks to support me um, and see. And uh, you can find me at uh, www.amyintheeighth.com and that's Amy in the number eight th.com. I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all the things. My daughter wants me to get on TikTok. I haven't got on there yet, but I might just do it. And uh, you can always call me too. And my number is 446-29. And you can call that number at pretty much any time if I don't answer. Say the number again. Yes. 446-1029. And if I don't answer, just shoot me a text. If you don't can't text, just leave me a message and I'll call you right back. Fran, Melissa, I want to thank you all for, for putting this on. And it's 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 amazing. I'm glad to connect with you all about this. And I'm, uh, you're doing some wonderful things. And the thing I like about you all, you're not afraid to attack the issues. I want to thank Amy. Also, uh, it takes courage to for our office, no matter what office it is. So I want to thank her for standing up and, and running for office. Uh, what I want to leave with the, the constituents of the 8th District, time is, is it's something you can't gain back. We, the 20 years that we've lost under the leadership of Reba, it's time to move forward. It truly is. Even if you are so comfortable with voting for her because her name resonates with you, uh, I honestly ask you yourself I earnestly ask you to give a, a closer look at my platform. Uh, you can reach me at 804-426-5377. I stand on accountable representation with bold transformation. We need to bring some accountability to this district. 
It's a beautiful district. We have the opportunity to be the best district in Richmond. There's no reason we shouldn't. I look for your support on November the 3rd. Please vote Reggie Ford. Again, you can reach me at 804-426-5377. Thank you. Thanks to you both so much for joining us today and sharing oh, of you yourselves and your, and your platform. And I hope that it's really informative to the folks in your district that are going out to vote. Yes. Welcome, listeners, to another campaign COVID edition of RVA Thirst Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. Heard here <laughs> every week on WRIR LP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Yes, this is another piece, part of our campaign forums, and this is the beginning beginning election season you know you know and we've got a special guest with us today we've only got one sadly that's okay that's okay yeah we uh just just for clarification we did invite uh dana sally allen the challenger for the eighth district school board spot to join us but no response so onward we go and we're very excited to have incumbent 8th District School Board member, Don Page, with us. How about you uh, introduce yourself, madam? Welcome back, by the way. Well, thank you all. Thank you all for this opportunity to share my vision going forward as my re-election this November 3rd for the 8th District School Board. And I'm so excited, just just as excited as I was in 2009 or 2008. I'm even more excited. This is passion. Passion for our young people and passionate about our children in the 8th District. Passionate about all of our students in RPS. And so for the previous, right just, just before we kind of launched into election season, you were actually the sitting chair. Yes. Yeah. So I was elected in 2008. And... Since since then, I have I have served as the chairman of the board four times. I have served as the vice chair twice. So I have been in leadership for the most part of my tenure serving on the school board. And under my leadership, I'm very proud of my record and the collaboration with my colleagues on the school board. So under my leadership, I have collaborated with my board members to build seven schools. And that is unheard of. Seven. Seven. Under my leadership. And since serving out of those seven schools, four of those schools benefit the 8th District. Raw Rock Elementary and Oak Grove Bell Mead Elementary Schools, Huguenot High School, and the new River City Middle School, formerly known as Elkhart Middle School, which I attended when I was in middle school. How about that? Uh, How about that? Yes. So I can honestly say that the schools that I represent, those are the schools that I attended as a child. I'm vested in this community. I've been a part of this community since I was seven years old except for when I got married, then I, but I did return back to the district 
So I'm completely vested. I'm a product of RPS. My husband is a product of RPS. My children are products of RPS. I'm totally vested in this school system. Also, I know how to get the money. That's important. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't get seven schools without the moolah. No, no, no. We received $18 million in additional operate, operational dollars in our budget, as well as we received $19 million in our capital improvement project maintenance budget. And on average, that, that is really unheard of because we have not received that type of funding in probably over 20 years. So we're playing catch up. We're playing catch up, but we have to work together. And so as I've stated, I know how to get the money and I know how to lead effectively and get the job done. You have to collaborate. You have to collaborate with the mayor, city council to get the job done. So I'm ready. I'm ready to lead, to continue the work that I've started. And also we are planning, partnering with J. Sergeant Reynolds to create a vocational learning center on Morris Street, which is formerly the Altria building, but a vocational learning center that will be located in the 8th district that will benefit our children. Look at so that. I'm excited about that. I want to continue to work. There's, there's much to be done and I will lead the charge. That's big. I mean, that's quite a legacy. That's quite, that's quite a legacy. But you know what? I get my rewards when I look at the faces of our young people and seeing that the decisions that we have made that have directly benefited our children. Mm -hmm. That's where I receive my rewards. And at the end of the day, that's what's ultimately the most important. Exactly. Oftentimes, we as adults you know, we attend these meetings and we sit on these boards and especially when it concerns school systems, we can be talking heads about a lot of things. But if your policies, if your, even your opinions, if your just everything that you're doing is not centered around what's best for the kids, exactly. right? With them in mind, even, and we talk about that a lot when um, we, we've been criticized for our opinions when talking about how uh, some of the teachers even talk about things that they'd like to see happen. And, and we're like, well, while you're shouting for, I need, I need, I need, sometimes that supersedes or takes funding away from things that, you know, from, from the classroom, from the kids. And it's right. like, kids first, yeah. kids first. Right. You know, and that so is, yeah. you've got to find a balance. you got to mm -hmm. find a, an even balance. And so that's quite a legacy. And it's always, I think it's sometimes hard for us as the adults in the room, right? To that's, remember that's that. True. But, um, but that know. has always been my focus. Always. Children first. Because that's what we are here for. And that's, yeah. that's what this work is about. And if you're not willing to do the work for our children, then this is not for you. And, and as a school board member, we are policymakers. And a lot of times people don't understand the roles. The superintendent, he runs the day-to-day -day operations of the school system. And yes, I support him to do his job. But at the end of the day, I have to hold him accountable for the outcomes. Because those outcomes, whether they are positive or negative, have a direct impact on our young people. Right now, we're experiencing a 
whole different challenge with yes having COVID. to start yes COVID and we have to start the school year with virtual learning that changes everything yeah. it's not like it was you know throughout the summer this is I mean this is a big deal a brand, a whole new you, world this is a brand, yeah. brand new world how yeah. do you shift your focus as you know a member of school board to deal with that and on top of you know running a campaign like it's a lot so the school board made our decision in July to go completely virtual because again, the safety of our children, our staff and our families, first and foremost. That wasn't the ideal situation because we all want our children to be back in school. But right now, based on the scientific data, it, it was not in our favor to send our children back to school. So, we had summer online learning. I've heard a lot of positive feedback from parents, students about that experience. But we know now is the regular regular school day. And so the school day will start at nine, but we will start the meal distribution like from seven to nine. And so from nine to approximately, so the, the little ones, the little babies, they were in like around 2.45 and then the middle school, high schoolers a little later. There will be breaks that have been included in this schedule in the regular school day. So, and we have to have accountability, accountability for our students as well as our staff because we'll be taking attendance. Our students will be receiving report cards. We have assignments. So it's going to be like the regular school day, but in a virtual setting and also supports will be in place. So currently right now, we're doing community walks, passing out flyers, information in the communities all over the city to make sure everybody's on board. And, and to be honest with you, we need all hands on deck. When we talk about that village, this is truly is going to have to be a village. Everyone will have something to do, just like our custodians, nurses. It may be you need to call a family to see why the student is not been signing on for their classes. You know, what's going on and how can we support the student and how can we support the family? We've heard so many comments from parents. We've gotten so much feedback and and we know there will probably be some bumps in there yeah. along the way, but again, working together to make this the best experience in our new normal, the best experience yeah. for our young people. And, and, and also we'll have community hubs. So there will be two located in the South side and then there will be hubs for the East end, North side, in the West End, but there will be two located in the South Side because South Side is so large. Large and, and more, more densely populated. Exactly. So we will have parent liaison. Those hubs are set up to assist families, our students, any issues that they may experience, that's the place to go. Also, since the shutdown, we have distributed 16,000 Chromebooks, 6,000 hotspots, and we're in the process 
of doing another round to make sure anyone that may have missed it the first time around, they'll get a Chromebook and be ready to start school. Also, each student will be receiving a toolkit and all of that is on their website. The materials that the student will need throughout the school day. Will be there. Yes, okay. such as a whiteboard and you know a smaller version, but things, things like that to assist them okay in their daily learning. And also since closing, we have served over or close to a million meals to our students. Yeah. That has- Our meal program, we talked about that with uh, Cameras when he was on the show. And yes. you know, we'll look that up again, but you know, I don't know if, if Richmond understands just how monumental that's been, but oh, I know. you know, Richmond is doing a really, I mean, beyond excellent job with meals per student yes. per population yes. you know in terms of uh, distributing food to not just you know having people come to the school but the the schools are going into the community yes. for food distribution and going to where people are instead mm -hmm. of requiring people to come to exactly. pick things up and that's big and just the distribution per capita is just like uh, oh, I, the numbers were phenomenal. stark. I mean, it was amazing. Yes, yes. RPS has um, done an awesome job with that. Thank you. And our food nutrition staff and all the volunteers, we have had so much support, so many volunteers to make this make this all work because we couldn't have done it by ourselves. Right. I mean, everyone. And so, again, the fall reopening with love. We're going to need all hands on deck then as well. You know, RPS has done, has done a job and, um, with that, and I think it's really important that the community has, we had some bumps along the way, but the community has, even in that way, wrapped its arms around RPS in a great way to be very supportive um, during that process. And there's still many areas where, you know, different organizations and programs are still doing that now with yeah. school supplies and different things like that. As we look back at maybe the past year and, and even last year that we had, one of the things that RPS as a whole struggled with was access. And that was a challenge. And that's always a challenge, just in case people are unaware. When you talk about redistricting in a school district, it's really, really a polarizing topic regardless, right? It is. Um, but... Richmond, it was, I think, even more punctuated in Richmond, I think, because we had so many conversations. Well, there's always so many conversations surrounding race and equity and socioeconomic class anyway. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that this school board was not able to really accomplish this term. And that was kind of the one thing or one of, it was kind of the big thing that you guys couldn't get to a great consensus on for whatever reason. And, and it led to a lot, and not saying that you guys didn't try, you gave a valiant effort. There was meeting after meeting after meeting yeah. all over the place and lots of community input. And even a lot of that input was very telling. Mm -hmm. um, you'd go to some meetings and you'd hear from some, sometimes maybe a lot of the same people with a lot of the same dog whistles sometimes. Rezoning yeah. is very uncomfortable. I, I'm just going to put it out there. So in 2012, we rezoned 
the elementary schools and the enrollment was balanced when I left the board, but there were adjustments made by another board and that threw everything out of whack. So when you make those adjustments, of course, schools going to become overcrowded or underutilized because you make adjustments. And so the rezoning process that the board entered last year, so for the South side, that's where the growth is. So in the South side, we actually, we need more schools. So I'm pushing for George Wythe, and hopefully we'll get some news regarding George Wythe, and I can't wait, so I, I can't say anything right now. But also, um, I, will, I will be pushing for another elementary school, possibly on the Rough and Roll site, because again, the enrollment, the growth is clearly in the South Side. So through the rezoning, this time around, we were able to alleviate the overcrowdedness in Broad Rock Elementary School by approximately 200 students. The students have been rezoned to Oak Grove, Blackwell, and Green, which which is Cardinal, I'm sorry, which is formerly Green. So the students have been rezoned for those schools to help alleviate the overcrowdedness at Broad Rock. We rezoned the entire city except for the North Side. And really, to be honest with you, it really solidified that we still have a tale of two cities, two, two school systems. We want equity for equity from afar. We're talking about young people, and they learn so much from one another, regardless of the race, their background, zip code. They learn so much from one another. It's the grown-ups. Our kids, our kids, are, they're resilient. You know, that's very disheartening. But we got, we got to keep pushing, keep pushing. Well, we only have a few minutes left, unfortunately. It's been really awesome talking to you and hearing about well, your thank vision. You. Is there anything that you'd like to add in the last few minutes? Anything you'd like to say, a message you'd like to get out to the folks going to the polls on November 3rd? I would like to say on November the 3rd, vote for Dawn C. Page, leadership that you can trust. I need your support and I need your vote. Again, I want to continue the work that I've started. And like I said, experience matters. Experience matters. And I'm the candidate. Well, how can folks uh, get in touch with you? They can get in contact with me. They can visit Dawn C. Page, one word, dot Wix, W-I-X, site, one word, dot com, forward slash school board. So again, Dawn C. Page, leadership that you can trust. Vote November 3rd, 2020. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you for joining us. Good luck to you. And thank you again for joining us. And voters, we know what we got to do. That's right. This election is so, so critical. And when people, and I just want to add this, when people go out to the polls and you vote for the president, you have to keep on down the line because your local elections have a greater impact on you quicker than the national election. So when you vote for president, make sure you vote for the mayor, city council, and school board because education is at the foundation of everything. So again, vote Dawn C. Page, November 3rd, 2020. Leadership that you can trust.
Thank you, guys. Excellent. Thank you so much. Richmond, thank you again for joining us this week. As always, we appreciate you guys. As we mentioned, our um, the opponent was not able to join us today. We did not get a response, so we will do our best to post contact information and maybe how you can follow that candidate as well and uh, have access to their platform. As usual, Flint still has dirty water and now so does New Jersey. RPS was fully funded last year, but they're going to need that times a million, right? To get through this new world order that we got going on right now because it's going to be a lot. And Miss Page said, we're going to need a village. And so it's going to take us all. And... As we all know, Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to y'all next week.